0: Our guest today effectively fell into the world of social impact after one of Australia's most powerful cyclones wiped out her local community, and she made a decision to help rebuild it, literally. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs, and innovators about aligning profit with purpose, and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now, here's your host, James McGregor. Welcome to episode four of the Good Business Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Mort from My Haven, which is a Cairns-based construction company uh, and certified benefit corporation that focuses on social impact through sustainable housing, developing long-term employment for Indigenous Australians, and affordable housing in tropical North Queensland. Now, Sarah's always been a bit of a trailblazer. Uh, in the 1990s, um, she was a, the first female project manager to be employed by a construction giant Multiplex. Working on large scale construction projects in Sydney. And now she's blazing a new trail as a director of My Haven, proving that profit and purpose can be aligned. In today's episode, we talk about how a natural disaster mixed in with an innovation award and a chance meeting led to the establishment of a construction company with a social purpose. So you actually started in construction in Sydney, commercial construction uh, with Multiplex. Um, so how did you go from, I guess, commercial project management on commercial large scale construction projects in Sydney to leading a social enterprise in far North Queensland?
1: It was a bit of a love story and a bit of a survival story. So I, I didn't sort of walk out of Sydney going, um, let's go to North Queensland and change the world. I um, probably reached my peak as far as what I wanted to do in Sydney at the time back in sort of 2010, 2011. And uh, no, it goes much further than that. Sorry, it goes back to 2004. I'd left Multiplex in 99, set up my own boutique sort of consultancy business in Sydney um, in 2000. And actually in 2004, a client asked me to come up to North Queensland and look at some property development opportunities. And As you may remember, they were the golden boom days before the GFC where money was flowing and everything looked bright and shiny and, you know, opportunities. So I found myself in a place called Mission Beach, which is probably one of the most beautiful places in the world, um, but very isolated. And um, I was up there scoping out some work and I – was in a meeting with some um, my background's town planning originally, I was a town planner um, and I was having some scoping discussions with the council up there just to see economically what was going on with the with the region. and literally the town planner gave me uh, my future husband's business card <laughs> and said I should call him because he was looking at exactly the same things that I was looking at from a property perspective. and I recognized the name and um, said a few questions and realized that this particular person had been at school with my brother back in Melbourne, you know a lifetime ago and i rang james a week later and we met in north queensland and sort of the rest is history so uh he came from a construction background and i came from sort of a property sort of project management background and we moved to mission beach in 2004 i think it was um and we were there just doing normal property development projects um and we got a few projects out of the ground and developed and sold. Uh, and then we were hit with a cyclone in 2006 which uh, was pretty catastrophic, um, Cyclone Yassi um, and then we were hit by another cyclone in 2000 and when was that cyclone? 2011 which is the big one which really wiped out the region. So that's sort of how the social enterprise story evolved. You know honestly the word social impact it wasn't even my vocab back in those days. I was just sort of Um, You know, James and I found ourselves in a very isolated place where we thought we'd stay for a year and then every year we stayed in North Queensland, we found we were there for another year and the longer we were there, we we found ourselves getting more and more deep-rooted. And when the second major cyclone came through and literally the town was, you know, flattened, um, I was pretty close with one foot out the door and going back to Sydney and going back into my old sort of background and connections and networks of developing. And, you know, I really couldn't see the future of staying in North Queensland. Um, but through that process, uh, we were a tiny team. It was only my husband and I at the time and we had a, sort of like an office manager and she put us in for an innovation um, award, um, a government award. And uh, long story short, James and I actually won this major prize um, and it was, it was the back end of that was James had been thinking for a long time, having lived you know, in, in Melbourne and Sydney as to... How can we build more robustly, um, one of your passions, James, more sustainably? Um, and we had actually been working with some engineers and some architects up here about what we called you know, like a future-proofing sort of cyclone-rated homes. Um, so we weren't even at the, that, that point in time looking at the spectrum of social enterprise. We were just really looking at how can we do more sustainable housing in North Queensland given the fact that the region is exposed to extreme storms. And then when we won this government award, which was sort of a a panel of venture capitalists in Brisbane, and we had to sort of really, it it forced us to write a business plan as to what we could do with the sort of technology and innovation of the product we were thinking about. So that's how we started. um, And that's how it grew.
0: So so you almost sort of fell into it by... We fell into
1: it. (laughs) You know, we, we didn't wake up one day saying, we're going to save the world. We were actually asking the world to save us. And that's what the world gave back to us. And then we went, wow. And, and then, you know, then there's a sense of discovery. You know, you go deeper into your community and go, well, I, you know, I had a pretty privileged life growing up in Melbourne and Sydney and, you know, had all the infrastructure that a lot of us have with, you know, parenting and good family. And, you know, I got the opportunity to go to university and, you know, I never second guessed, you know, the opportunities that were given to me. But then when you work in remote communities and regional communities, you just realise that not everybody gets that opportunity. And I think if you're looking for some sort of life legacy, um, and that's why I think any business can convert to be a business of purpose, you've just got to think about how you can filter that back into what you actually love doing passionately and then how you can actually influence that sort of social change.
0: Did you, did you, ever, did you ever get to a point where you were very deliberate about the social impact?
1: Oh, definitely now. I mean, absolutely. So what happened was when this all started happening, we sort of suddenly had, you know, a few million dollars worth of projects sort of in front of us that we had to, you know, to create back to the community and design and and engage and train. Um, But once you've done that, you realise, well, we're now on a course and now we need to work out how we then convert that into a proper business plan and, you know, create that business, you know, long term. And I was invited, someone heard about what I was doing down in Sydney and he was with Macquarie Bank and he said, Sarah, your business model is very powerful, you know, and I didn't even know what a social enterprise was then. And he invited me to fly down to Sydney and have lunch with um, some of Macquarie Bank's private clients that were all, um, and a lot of family foundations that were very, um, very much into this whole idea of social impact. And I was invited to be part of this forum and talk and, and share what we were personally going through and how we were converting our business model. And through that lunch, we we, we eventually met the key investor that came in to support our business, he and his wife, uh, Roger Ellen and Maggie, who Roger said, what I, what I can see with what you guys are doing is your grassroots, you're on the ground and actually making it happen. Um, but if I help you work out how to scale this business model up, we can actually really have some real impact into um, into regional Australia and, and particularly with Indigenous communities, which was his number one passion.
0: So you came from that construction background. You sort of almost serendipitously fell into this idea of social enterprise. The background you had. What, what was the, what was the hardest transition for you from going from thinking like a traditional property developer to oh, thinking actually? our business can actually make a really big positive impact in our community? Was there a... Uh,
1: the biggest challenge is, is getting sucked into government policy. So uh, one very wise person who was another influencer for us to move to Cairns who actually was the landlord of our building, uh, we didn't do it easy. When we started this new business, I, we came to, uh, to Cairns and lived in a hotel room for 14 months without a kitchen. That's how hard we went to, to start up the new business. Um, but he said to me one night, Sarah, don't put all your eggs in one basket and certainly don't put your whole business on, on the on the premise of what government policy is gonna promise you because that will kill you eventually. Um so I think that's you know, I think especially private sector people where we've never really been dependent on government policy, you know, and you you fly above all of that in many respects, but a lot of not-for-profit organisations and community-based organisations, as we know, have been stranglehold by the way government sort of breathes and and, and plays in that space. Um, So there's a fine-tuned balancing as to how you work within the mechanics of what you have to politically, and I think we went through probably half a dozen State and federal elections through the whole startup of our business, which was also massively disrupting um, because you could be just doing something with Indigenous community where you know that program supporting it, and then within six months, that's just taken away from you. Um, so that was one big challenge. The other big challenge, too, was we were a disruptor, um, you know, very much an early disruptor in how can a construction business actually add back to social change. So, as much as some politicians would say, we love the messaging and we love what you do, bureaucratically, the bureaucrats didn't really want to, you know, they just didn't want to work with that space. So, we were, when we really powered up into Cairns, it was the time when they were rolling out what was called the Napari Housing Program, which I think was like over a billion dollars of investment into social housing into remote Indigenous communities across Australia. Um, and you've got to remember this was the time when we're coming out of the GFC, so there's no building activity going up through regional Australia. I mean, you know, things were really, really tight. So when we started our model, you know, we were out there tendering against some of the biggest construction companies in Australia to just to get, you know, full house contracts into remote communities. So all the normal dynamics of business were sort of going against us at the same time as trying to create social good. And our model was we would not go into a regional remote community to build houses unless we could wrap the full training model because we wanted to say within four years that Indigenous community was left with a workforce of 20 men that could fix those houses after we had left, Um, where the other model that is the standard model was construction companies were either building houses in factories and just shipping them up and dropping them on the ground and walking out and there was no long-term sort of social benefit outcome through all that funding.
0: So so, how did you fix that though? You, you you're competing against companies that f- fly in and
1: yeah, we, we didn't actually fix it. We, we got to the point in 2015 we we actually pulled the pin. So we had a couple of communities where we really had some fantastic outcomes. We even had the minister for indigenous the indigenous minister Scullion at the time, fly up to Arakoon with us and say this is the most successful model. I mean, we had something like 10 apprentices signed up at the time in that community to build. And half of them, I think my husband has saved from going to jail. Um, But then at the same time, when we're tendering for the housing and we're awarded, say, a contract for 10 houses, the state government would come back and say, actually, we're just going to give you four for now. And then, you know, we can come back to you later on that. And we go, hang on a minute, we've priced this on a 10 house model with all the training. We can't change that and we suddenly thought there was a gun to our heads and we are a small business and we thought we can't survive this so we actually mid 2015 we turned back to the state government and said you can have the two million dollar housing contract back uh, and we'll work out another way to make our business work um, and so we really that was where we really pivoted um, and worked out the learnings of what we had professionally from our careers as property developers if we could adapt that model into a place like Cairns where everything was going to be more cost effective because if you go working remotely, it's like 200% more expensive to, to um, actually deliver any programs in remote communities. So we just went back and said, let's create our own pipeline of boutique property development in Cairns, which is normal business. But in our business, 30% of our workforce will be Indigenous. And then we'll, and we've also become an RTO, nationally accredited training school. So then we could create all our own programs locally. So, you know, just those learnings, you realise, well, hang on a minute, Um, working against government and working remote places against government, unless you're a massive organisation, you're just not going to survive. So we had to work out a way that would make, make sense and, and business purpose, you know, in, in an
0: area that we're living in. Yeah, which is a shame really because the, you know, there's almost the rise of the social enterprise is blurring the line between what would have traditionally been government responsibility around employment and training and social good um, versus commercial. Um, so it's a shame that I guess procurement processes uh, in government haven't kept up with um, some of these social impacts.
1: No, we at the time we got told by a particular bureaucrat at state level that as much as he thought it was you know a great story about what we were doing, their prime interest was to get the housing out and built as fast and as cheap as possible and to the financial year calendar um, and forgetting that half the year up in North Queensland is lost through the wet season. So uh, it's an incredibly difficult space to navigate through. I mean, I think some of those conversations may have changed in the last few years, but um, you know, as we know, we're at the whim of whatever's going on politically, and uh, to survive in any business, and especially a social sort of focus, so socially focused business, I think you've got to find a way that makes it independent from those uh, influences in some respects. Yeah.
0: So, what so what does My Haven look like today? So, you mentioned that you're doing training and property development.
1: Yeah. So we're now we're, we've really, I mean, we've evolved into sort of we've got four sort of arms of the business. construction is, you know, very much a strong part of the business. Um, We also have a very successful RTO training school, which is just expanding um, on all fronts. We're now delivering training. We've gone from one school in a remote community this year to taking on 14 schools next year. So we're delivering sort of furniture making, cabinet making um, skill base there. And then we use the pipeline of all our relationships and our supply chain that we use in the construction industry to help these younger people to go out into the workforce and get apprenticeships and, and employment. Um, so that, I think that's a very good dynamic model where you look at your supply chain and see how we can use that network to come back and you know get them to influence really good outcomes for employment. Um, and then we've gone out and developed the first ever premium purpose-built student accommodation in Cairns in the last 12 months. Uh, so that's about a $10 million investment that we have with a number of foundations and investors out of Sydney. And the goal in that business is to, well, we're aiming, at the goal was like 10% of our students would be Indigenous. I think we average about 30% of our students staying in the student accommodation are Indigenous. Um, and then we have the property development arm. So, you know, we're always going out and buying and selling and doing boutique property developments. We're also partnering up with Access Housing, which is a big housing co-op in Cairns and building the first ever housing for women suffering from domestic violence. So we actually help them secure the grant money for that and we've designed it and we're building it. Um, and we're also about to start working in, in the NDIS spectrum and looking at doing some pilot housing programs for um, people uh, needing housing in that particular spectrum. So lots of things.
0: <laughs> uh, so you, And you operate a for-profit model?
1: We operate a for-profit model, yes.
0: So that's amazing. What about impact? How do you do you measure your social impact?
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, so so I di- oh, there's different measurements. So you know, with the student accommodation, uh, you know, we, we measure how many stud- how many bed nights that we provide for um, Indigenous students, um, and then we also probably track as to how much mentoring support we provide them when they're coming down from community and. And uh, and then we do surveys and and, and collect data that way. Um, same with the training school, so uh, um, RTO training school, we measure as to how many students are Indigenous to being non-Indigenous or maybe um, uh, needing you know special support. So that data is collected. Um, and then just within our own workforce capacity plan, just you know being really conscious about when we are. Um, providing new employment opportunities for young people uh, we would definitely probably look at people who have got probably more more need of support um, being indigenous or having learning difficulties and then we would support them everywhere we can with education um, and setting some you know um, some goals for them as to how they can achieve their, their career path
0: yeah and have you found there's been other flow- on you know, other than I guess the the sense of giving back, Is there, has there been any other like positive flow and effects to your business of, of pivoting to this social purpose?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean uh, even people who uh, buy a My Heaven home um, or even come and look at the properties that we develop in Cairns, so often if I'm there on the weekends, many people, they go, oh, I've just read your story on, on, your, on your website or I've heard a podcast or something. They said, oh, I just love the social impact you're having apart from just building this great house or this great development um, yeah, yeah, it, it certainly adds to the brand of Myhaven.
0: Yeah, and what about staff recruitment? And um, I assume you've got a very loyal um, core group of staff.
1: Yeah, they're very passionate. and I think they a lot of new members have come to me recently saying I purposely wanted to come to Myhaven because of the B Corp registration, um, which I suppose you and I haven't really talked about today. But as you know, that I think we would have been one of the first companies in, in Cairns to have got that two or three years ago. Um, and more and more people are becoming really aware of what that means and then the staff that work for us understand that you know to become a B Corp registrate, you know, registered um, social enterprise whenever we're having our heads of department meetings or our strategy blue sky meetings you know that's part of the conversation as well as to you know what actions can we be adopting in our business policies on every level that would ensure that we in everything we do there's a social output
0: or impact in in what we're creating yeah that's great so i I think it's amazing great great business model uh and it's a good inspiration for others even outside the construction industry to show how they can do this if there are other people out there listening to this podcast who are thinking about pitching an idea around social impact or even um starting down the um the path of launching their own social enterprise what what's the biggest piece of advice you think you give to someone like that
1: I think got to start off with aligning what your what your number one passion is and what your skill sets are, and then saying how can that be aligned to a social benefit. So I'm a true believer that nearly every business could be modified to ha- to be a business of purpose because you just got to put a little bit more effort into considering the impact of what your actions can be and what and how you could actually leave a legacy or a positive flow on uh, from a social sort of impact perspective if you know what, where i'm coming from
0: yeah 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 so we always we do uh, a lot of work with businesses where we get mis- admit that mission statement or you know your why why are you trying to set up this business um and setting that stake in the ground um makes so many other things so much easier. So if you, when you come across challenges in the business, um, it's the thing that keeps you motivated. If you um, decide that the particular product or service isn't quite right, it's not going to get you to that mission. You can pivot easier without being so wedded to your original idea. Uh, I think having that mission focus on alignment of purpose is uh, very powerful on lots of levels.
1: Yeah, and it also helps you to filter what what choices you want to make or what choices, you know, because when you start a new business, you have everything at you you and you want a bit of all of it. And then you've got to say, okay, what am I really good at? <laughs> Where am I going to make profit? Um, if you have too much, you know, for us at one point in our business model for the first few years, say 2012 to 2015, I'd say too much was trying to do too much social impact in remote communities, which made us very dysfunctional and very exhausted. You know, like we, it just you just can't put all your eggs into that one really hard area to work in day in, day out. And now where we are sort of, you know, we've evolved over the last five years to say, well, everything we do has a social impact, but it's also got to function. It's got to, it's got, you know, it's got to roll every day, in a, you know, in a smooth sort of way where um, it should almost become a slightly more effortless sort of output rather than it being, in our early days of training, we would be picking people up, you know, from their homes and driving them to our training school and, you know, almost – forcing them to come here to be trained because that's how we were told to do it by government whatever but realizing now i just know when i go to an indigenous community i always say to them are you ready for this change because you have to want it i'm not ever going to walk into someone's community now and tell them what to do or what how they should change i think when they want it they'll come to you and then you go okay let's partner and i think the idea of collaborating and partnering is really important in 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 these sort of social enterprise models
0: if someone's listening to this podcast, what, what, what would you like people to do after listening to this podcast?
1: Depends what their motivation is. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, you know, you could, you could sit back right away and just say, what, what, what does my business look like now? And w- what little tweaks can I make to be more socially aware? that could be just the first thing you need to do. So you'd look at your existing, existing client base and saying, okay, is there anything we're doing here that together we could be getting something further back? So when we opened up the student accommodation, the first thing I did was have a conversation with the university saying, look, I'm prepared to give X amount of beds um, as a scholarship program. Are you willing to partner with me for a scholarship program? And my purpose is I wanna bring in indigenous students so they can get into doing a bachelor degree and whatever. Um, so I think everyone's got assets and it's a matter of putting those assets together and maybe giving a little bit back to get something more in return for everybody. And don't be greedy. <laughs>
0: Great piece of advice. Um, so, if people want to learn more about My Haven or get in touch with you, what's the best way they can connect?
1: Uh, well, you can go to our website, which is this My Haven, which is M I for Italy, not M Y, M I H A V E N dot com dot A U. You can email me, Sarah at uh, Sarah, S A R A H, at MyHaven um or you can ring us so all the information's on our website so i'm more than happy to share the story and support anybody who wants to know more about how to be uh, a business of purpose
0: yeah well, and we'll, well we'll provide um all those notes in the show notes as well so for people who haven't got a chance to write things down. Um, I'll be on the show notes. All right. So um, we could talk all day on this topic, but uh, we're on a clock. So how about uh, let's, let's wrap up with our uh, mad minute. So five questions, 60 seconds. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, follow your passion.
0: Uh, what's your favorite business book?
1: Oh, <laughs> there's too many. There's too many. I mean, you know, the four-hour week used to always amuse me, so we'll go with that one. <laughs>
0: A four hour workweek, great. Good choice.
1: Yeah, and I haven't achieved that yet. So anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, probably that's the problem with a social enterprise because you actually enjoy what you do. Um, sometimes it's not work. So um, trying to do it in four hours when you want to do more doesn't always work. Yeah, true. Um, favorite business tool or resource that you use to deliver impact through your business?
1: I love writing. So I suppose it has to be writing, it has to be just, you know, um, you know, putting stories together and sharing stories.
0: Uh, what's your favorite quote?
1: Oh boy.
0: (laughs) Too many to choose (laughs) from. There's
1: so many. There's too many to choose from. Um I just couldn't give you I just couldn't ham one up straight away. So um I'll leave that one to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No worries. All right. So if you if you go back in time and give your twenty year old self some advice, what would it be?
1: uh to uh, to be agile i think it's really important in business um so not to be close-minded um to, to where opportunities will arise from and that when you align your passion to your purpose i think doors will always open to
0: you awesome and do you think your 20 year old self would have listened to you
1: no i was having too much of time <laughs> partying <laughs> but that's okay and networking relationships and networking are key. So for me to be up in North Queensland, but my whole life was in Melbourne and Sydney. so those relationships in Sydney and Melbourne have seriously supported the growth of My Haven in North Queensland. So I think don't forget even if you spread yourself out into these you know further regions in Australia, you never forget the, you know, the support of a, of a really strong network can really help you.
0: Well, appreciate your time. I love what you guys are doing at uh, My Haven and uh, we hope to see great things from you guys in the future.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Tim.
0: So what a great example of how any business can be a business for good. So if you've been inspired by today's episode and you've got an idea of making your business a business for good, um, the first thing you need to do is to get people to buy into that big idea. So to make things as easy as possible for you, we've put together a free ebook called Selling Sustainability. So it covers all the neuroscience and behavioral science around crafting a compelling message and gives you a simple to follow seven step fill in the box template to craft a compelling message to get people to buy into your big idea, which you can access through the show notes. And speaking of show notes, if you want to access the show notes for today's episode, you simply visit bluetribe.co forward slash podcast and check out episode number four. So please take the time to also leave a rating and subscribe to this podcast. That'll help get the message out to other leaders and change makers just like you, because together we can make a huge impact. Coming up in the next episode.
1: And so the following Wednesday, I went back armed with tea bags, armed with paint, and I said to them, you know, okay, today we are going to do patterns on teabags. And they looked at me as though I was quite mad. I mean, who is this mad English lady that wants to paint on teabags?
0: Have you ever looked at a used teabag and said to yourself, I can build a social impact business out of that? Well, that's exactly what the guest of our next episode did. Thanks for listening to the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.